0: All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Slaying the Sale. I am your host, Kyle Slaymaker. Obviously, I can give you my cliche, you know who I am, but I'm just going to even spare you with that. So we have a guest interview today that is actually going to be really, really, really interesting because when she sent me her bio, there was some stuff in there that just totally blew me away. And she's laughing because she probably knows exactly where I'm going with it. So let's give you a bit of a background about Steph. So Seth Dissonier, we already had a discussion about her last name because I wanted to go full French with it. Um, So small business strategist, online educator. She teaches makers, creative personalities, entrepreneurs, how to create product-based businesses that they love without having to take time away from their families, which we know is very important to me. So she's worked on sales, marketing, growth, scaling, everything. But let me tell you what's really interesting to me. Okay. Now, graduate of Miami U. That's a huge deal. Steph majored in geology before starting her own business. She did work as an environmental scientist, director of operations at an entrepreneurial resource or, or yeah resource center. She currently lives in central PA with her husband, two kids, and their family dog. Um, I've known Steph for a little while and every interaction I've had has been pleasant and awesome and fun. So I was happy to have her on. Um, but Steph, I got to hit you hard right out of the gate before... <laughs> Actually, you know what? I'm just going to hold that off for like five minutes. Please give yourself an introduction too, because I'm sure you can do better than I did.
1: Yeah. So thank you so much for having me. I am a sales and production strategist. I love working with product-based businesses. I love to help people scale their hobby up into and then through their first six figures, helping them build something that is sustainable and productive without making them feel like they're burnt out and just not, you know, building this business that takes them away from the reason that they are building a business. So I'm very excited to be here today.
0: Thank you, thank you very much. Um, so yes, I have to ask, geology. How did you, how did you go into geology in the first part, part of it? Because <laughs> like, of all the people that I've interviewed, of all the people that I talked to, it's very rare that we see a, or an outside of the norm degree path, right? People are either MBAs, they're lawyers, they're doctors, very traditional stuff. But then you come in with a degree in geology. So how did that happen?
1: Yeah. Uh well, let's full disclosure, I uh, did not get into the business school at Miami, which <laughs> um so Miami University's business school is very competitive. And if you don't apply to be in the business school from day one, you have to petition. And it's the process is insane. Nobody can do it, really. Um But so I was working on trying to get through the petition process, and you still have to take your general electives, right? You have to take your physical science and your English and your languages, whatever. And I took this, I mean, it was literally rocks for jocks. It was an intro to geology. It was an evening class, two hours every Tuesday, where he would do a short little lecture, and then we would watch a video about something in geology. It was just, I mean, it was random, but I loved it. It was so interesting. And then we had a lab portion of it. And in geology, when you have a lab, you go on field trips every week. Like we're outside every week. It was amazing. And so I I found out I didn't get into the business school and I was like, I don't know what else to do. (laughs) Like, I'm not an engineer. I don't think like that but I really, really love this geology class, and I was like, okay, well, let's check this out, and um, so I'm I'm technically a hydrogeologist. I work with groundwater. Um, I actually have a master's degree in environmental pollution control. I actually did some research about a uh, contaminant in northern Lycoming County that was, um, it was a a carcinogen in the water that was unknown to the homeowners there, Um, so i my master's thesis was actually on trying to determine where it had originated and it was it was a lot of fun I love like I still love geology but it's a lot of travel like it was so much travel and by the time my son was born and I had coworkers um, very upset with me for like trying to turn down field work because he was three months old when I went back to work and having people upset with me about being a mom and some of the accommodations I needed for being a mom, and it just as a career field, unfortunately, that's very common. And it just was not a good fit for me anymore.
0: It's that's frustrating to hear because I'm seeing I'm seeing the pure passion that you have. Like I can hear it in your voice. I can feel it in your <laughs> face. Like I can see that you genuinely loved doing that. So it's it's you know it's it's heartbreaking to hear that that's the experience that you had and i'm sure that there's many other fields out there that are exactly the same where it's just there are these i don't want to say out there career paths i mean it's not like geology is like something that just came up in the past 5 years um, but that that's got to be frustrating so that's basically why you pivoted into the business side of things the the coaching and the strategy stuff what happened happened? a
1: little bit while I was working as a geologist so like I said I was always I was very interested in business I had tried to get into the business school and so one day I was like well if nobody's gonna teach me in college about business I'm like I'm just gonna go learn about business so I was like let's start a business I started looking around I was like what do I know how to do um so I'm also a knitter and knitters, uh, believe it or not, spend a lot of money, uh, on all kinds of things. And we like to store our projects in very decorative bags, very pretty bags. People collect them. And I was like, well, I have a sewing machine. I know how to sew. I could sew some bags. So I started a business sewing these bags for knitters and crocheters. And I, but I literally started it because I'm like, what is it like to do bookkeeping for a business? What is it like to do marketing for a business? What is it like to try and like, you know, carry inventory and determine what people are going to like I just wanted to know what it was like to to do it so I found something I, and I, I grew that for a decade I ended up outsourcing my manufacturing on that um, I had a sales rep I was working with all up and down the mid-Atlantic region um, it was it was doing really well um, and so when I did finally decide to shut it down Uh, About three years ago, though, it was uh, it was scaling very well. It was a a very profitable and enjoyable business. It just wasn't right for me anymore. But so that's how I that's how I shifted into business. And then I wanted to take what I learned there um, and help
0: others. See, it's it's awesome to hear because. You know, there's there's still such a well, maybe not so much now, but like when. You know, I was growing up when I was in the Navy, when I got out, when I started going to college at Penn State, there was still such a huge push for the degrees, right? And of course you had so many, you know, it it was, it's interesting to watch the shift because it used to be, well, if you really want to get into the C-suite, you need to have an MBA. Mm -hmm. You need to have this. If you have a PhD, it's even better. Right. And then it it dropped from that and it went, well, now they're looking for just a four-year degree. It could be anything just to see that you can stick with something for four years. And it's been so cool to watch this shift because there's people that, are like you and I, and we just went and did it without really any true formal training. We just said, you know what? This is something we're going to have fun with. We're going to see what happens and we're going to go. And that, I think, positions both of us and pretty much anybody out there that did it that way to actually be able to really help and really guide. Because as you know, the degrees nowadays, and I have I've, I've um, went to Penn State for organizational leadership. I started in marketing, pivoted. Um, so my first major was uh, political science. I walked into my first political science class and I was like, I am out of my league. I hate this.
1: That's every walked- form of military though. Uh, Holy yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, you're, you are totally right. And then I walked into my first psychology class literally the next morning and the professor was like, he, I'll never forget, he goes, welcome to psychology 101. The first thing to remember is in psychology, you can never be right and you can never be wrong. And I was like, that's the career for me. This is great. Yeah, I literally can't screw this up. And I loved the psychology course. And then I, he was like, you also need a doctorate if you're gonna make any money. Mm-hmm. And I'm back in a thousand here. So I ended up in organizational leadership. Um, but you know, that that real world experience that we bring to the table, that you know, trial by error, because nobody really taught us, other than whatever we, you know, talked to people online about and, and did our own research. So it's great because you actually built a really decent business up until you decided to you know, transition. What was the the turning point? Why'd you transition?
1: Uh, 2020. <laughs> uh, I, know. But I, I mean, on top of, on top of the world in 2020, we had a lot of personal upheaval going on during that time. And originally my intention was I was just going to shut it down for about a year or so overhaul revamp some things and, and rebrand and, and open back up. Um, because I just was not in a place where I could run a business. It was, it was just not happening. Um, but once I took a step back and I like, I'm, I'm still convinced that I'm going to reopen it someday. Like (laughs) I'm still very, like, it's probably, I'm probably delusional at this point. Um, I would love to, but, uh, you know, at that point in time with everything that had gone with my family with, I was homeschooling at that point, my kids and everything. And, I wanted to leverage what I knew to help all those women around me that I saw who all of a sudden were like, oh, shit, like I'm home with my kids. I can't work my normal job anymore. Like, how am I going to do this?
0: So how do you feel? Because you, you know, you you did you started this in 2020 um, and honestly, 2020 is when everything went to complete shit for everybody. (laughs) Um, You know, I feel like 2020 was a blessing and a curse. Right. It it, we knew that COVID just was gonna change the world and it did. But in my opinion, in my eyes, Steph, I feel like it set business ahead 10 years. Right. Meaning we are now where we would have been 10 years from now if it weren't for COVID, because everything made that transition so abruptly to almost the entire country working from home. All of a sudden, you started seeing these these younger kids that were able to be doing were doing virtual work already decided to pick up a second virtual job because they were so used to it. Now they had even more time and they were doubling, tripling their salaries. And then you see these people that realize, oh, my gosh, I'm at home with my kids. I'm seeing my spouse more often. I don't want to work for somebody. I want to just go and go. I want to do my own thing. Did you see a huge influx of that in your in your area?
1: I, uh, so in my area, unfortunately, not so much. There was a lot more reliance on service-based industries and manufacturing. Um, but what I did see were a lot of the women that I knew who were working, you know, offices, office assistants, things like that, who all of a sudden were home and they didn't know how long they were going to be home, right? So many people, because we were supervising virtual schooling for at least a year, and you know, so March hits, and then by mid-April, we all realize, oh, this is like a long haul thing. And so at that point, you know, women, and I say women because statistically, moms are the one who are coming home to deal with all this, right? They were the ones leaving the jobs. They're also the least likely to be in like a manufacturing situation where they still had to go into work. But these moms are coming absolutely.
0: home and, oh. oh. No, I'm just agreeing with you, right? You're, you're absolutely, oh,
1: yeah. 100%. Um, but so so what I saw was less of like this adaptation to the virtual world, but and more of a sense of stress of how the heck do I even figure out what I need to be doing while I'm also virtual school supervising, while I'm also like trying to balance all these other things. Um, and so I saw a huge influx of women using their creative skills. They were making earrings that they were using social media to sell. They were doing, you know, Facebook lives and and Instagram. They were finally doing like these massive knitting projects or quilts or sewing, um, huge influx of candle makers. Like that was so many candle makers all of a sudden, uh, but they were all starting up these these hobbies, right? Because everybody was just like trying to find something to fill their time. So they're spending money on these hobbies. And they're like, well, maybe I can make some money selling it. And then I won't have to go back to work once the kids go back to school in person. And so over that year, what I did see was this huge growth of these homegrown businesses.
0: Yeah, and that's that's something I've touched on multiple times before, and it's just such a, it's been so cool to see because the you can almost see the confidence in in whether it's it's male, female, anything the, the confidence in these work from home businesses that have been started has been so cool to see. Like I, I have I have friends that you know they were doing you know crafts on the side or or something like that, and when COVID hit and they really they couldn't be in a physical location for their jobs, I would get text messages and and phone calls like, Hey, do you think I can make a serious go at this? Yeah. Anybody can make a serious go at anything, but it was so cool to watch the confidence get built up and built up because they saw everybody else doing it too. It's like this influx was so cool for small businesses. It was like people went from side hustle to full-time in a matter of a year for most people. Um, So what trying to think how I want to word this. What is the coolest small business that you've seen come to fruition since COVID from, from your personal experience?
1: That's a hard one.
0: (laughs) I I always ask the hard ones. I try.
1: Oh man. Ah, coolest business. Oh, I really don't. I mean, there's, there's one woman who she now has a commercial kitchen in her basement and she sells cheesecakes. Like that's it. She's just like a cheesecake expert that one was pretty cool um what else like I said I you know I've worked with a lot of candle makers you know the coolest is probably the woman who shifted all of her music lessons online she teaches piano virtually now I don't know how she does it my kids would do
0: that right that is genius
1: that's amazing
0: think about it yeah Online music, lab. I mean, now granted, like when, when you say piano, that's like the hardest instrument to learn as, I mean, the older you get, it's like almost impossible. Yeah. Um, but virtually, wow, that is really cool. Yeah. Good for so, her.
1: I guess what she does is she has them like position their webcam basically so she can view their hands while they're playing on the piano. And so she can mirror stuff for them and help correct finger placement, and things like that. Um, just, I'm like. Who would think about, who would think about just putting a webcam on your piano, facing your
0: hands? That, that goes to show like, like just what we talked about, right? Like anybody can start a business. You don't need that formal training. You don't need that MBA. That's going to teach you exactly how to do almost nothing to be completely honest. It's anything when I, I was considering my MBA and my advisor was like, look, you are running a very successful business. He said, do you plan on ever being an employee again? No, I do not. Then why in God's name would you go to an MBA? Right.
1: Why would you spend 30000 minimum? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he,
0: he asked me, he was like, let me ask you a few questions. And he went through these questions. I fired him off like that. And he goes, you know more than the professors. And he said, there's no point in you spending the money to get a piece of paper that's not going to get you hired anyway, because you don't want to get hired.
1: Yeah. And it,
0: it really resonated with me because it, it was like, wow, there really is so much better real life training just by doing it and experiencing it. Like I don't know how she came up with the idea of positioning the webcam. I don't know how. I mean I, I, there's so many ideas out there that I've seen in the past couple of years that have just been just ridiculously awesome and that is definitely up there. I mean I can only imagine she has got to be crushing it. She has oh, to. Oh
1: yeah.
0: Has she's to doing be amazing. It.
1: Yep. <laughs> That's
0: awesome. Do you have any advice for anybody that is, you know, has a hobby that might be contemplating the idea of turning it into a business?
1: Uh, lots of advice. I'm trying to think what the most useful one first out of the gate is. Um, You know, I would say the the most useful piece of advice I ever heard was don't ask your family and friends for their opinions on it. Like oh, I know this sounds awful. True. And-
0: <laughs> so true, it's not awful. <laughs> It, it may be awful if you're not a business owner, but as a business owner, that is ridiculously true.
1: Yes. I have ta- I've worked with so many people who are like, well, my family says that I'm pricing this too high. I'm like, I don't care what your family thinks. Is your family going to be the ones buying it? No. Then don't listen to them. Oh, we're <laughs>
0: going to go down a rabbit hole. Oh, we can go down <laughs> rabbit hole. You're, you're, you're right. Um, you know, as, as somebody that was slash is uh, a big dreamer, right? I'm very you know, end of the road goal oriented. My wife, you know, kind of helps me get the details down. Um, But when I said I was starting my business, it was, Oh, another one. Here we go again. Oh, Kyle's got another pie. At one point, my father-in-law sat in my living room and was like, well, all you do is have these pie in the sky dreams and you know, you got to get it together. Uh, Well, look at me now. Um, But, It it is. It's it's that thing, like like your friends and family, those aren't your customers. Mm -hmm. And if they are your customers, they're not going to pay you what they should pay you. It's anything. So don't even worry about it. Oh, you are so, so accurate. (laughs) That is probably the best real advice I have ever seen anybody give on this show. Usually it's like all the advice is good from these people but nothing has been like more raw and more real other than don't listen to your family and friends. Oh, perfect stuff. All right. What about the worst aside from listening to family and friends, the worst thing somebody can do when starting their business?
1: Oh, the worst thing they could do. I think, you know, honestly, I think the worst thing they could do is never take the time to figure out where they want to go. Like you just talked about, like your are pie in the sky dreams. And the, the, the biggest challenge I've seen is people who will want to go from a hobby to small business, but they never take the time to think through, okay, but what does that mean? Like, what kind of money do I want to be making? What kind, how do I want to be selling? They never think through that part. And like, even just to sit down and write out, I want to go from a hobby to a small business that makes $3,000 a month. Like even just that one step gives you a framework Right. Like I I like to talk about I do I do something called strategic planning with my clients. But what I say is, you know, we're we're putting up those bumpers in the bowling alley. Right. These bumpers keep you from ending up in the gutter. Right. And, And crashing your business and they keep you going and give you a higher chance of success of hitting that strike. And so even just getting very clear on what your actual goal is with starting the business gives you some bumpers.
0: It's so. Appropriate that you brought this up because I literally like five minutes ago before we, I jumped on this podcast with you. I had a conversation with a friend slash client who I, I asked because she was having some trouble getting dialed in. She's kind of in that entrepreneurial roller coaster where things were really good. Then she let off the gas and other stuff crept in. So I was trying to help her get refocused. And I said, you know, what, what are your goals? Because she said, she's like, well, I'm accountable to other people. Like you hold me accountable, but I'm not accountable to myself. And I said, well, then we need to make sure your why is really detailed because my why is how I hold you accountable because I know that by holding you accountable and by you succeeding, it's going to help me get to my why. I said, but what is your why? And she said, I want to give my, my kids a better life than I ever had. And I was like, awesome, but it sucks because it's so general. Like you, know. you tell me one parent that is worth a damn that one doesn't want their kid to have a better life. Than they did. I said, so what does it look like? And she goes, I want to take them to Maine to eat lobster rolls. I want to do this. I want to do that. And I'm like, okay, now we're getting somewhere. And I said, how does it feel when you take that first bite of that lobster roll with your kid sitting in Maine? Oh, it feels great. It feels like vindication. It feels like validation from all those people that talked all this shit in high school. Okay, what did they say? And then we kept dialing it down, dialing it down. And that's where the difference is. So you are so right. Having those set goals clearly defined is a huge difference maker. It's a huge difference maker. Everybody can sit there and say they want to make a million, but how? Why? Why do you want to make a million? Because when you make a million, you're only making, God, it was these taxes after everything you're lucky if you're hitting like three four hundred thousand
1: i was gonna say yeah like four hundred thousand there
0: you go yeah it's it's crazy to think like looking back at where i started where you started too like i didn't know i'd end up here i had no idea i'd be running a podcast i had no idea i'd be doing any of the stuff that i am did you
1: no i was pretty sure i'd be staring at rocks for the rest of my life
0: (laughs) yeah yeah well yeah you almost did Almost. Almost. They should have been a little more accepting. They're probably all kicking themselves like, shit, I wish we had stuff. Yeah.
1: I briefly debated going back when everything was going remote. They were hiring remote project managers at my old firm. And I, like, I briefly toyed with it. But then I was like, do I really want to do that though? Like, Do I really want to go back into that environment? Because you know, it hasn't changed. I mean, you see news stories all the time. It hasn't changed. So why do that when I can create something so much better for me and the people around me?
0: All right. So here's, I'm going to really hold your feet to the fire here. Oh boy. Have you contemplated, and I don't know what this would look like. This is going to be, this is going to require you being like webcam of the piano created. <laughs> Have you thought of doing anything geology related for a, a side hustle or, or another business?
1: I have thought about it. Um, So I I actually taught intro to earth science for a number of years for a community college. Um, and I have toyed with like, what would it look like to do some sort of side hustle or, or program um, with geology? I don't know what that would look like yet. And I think that's something that needs to kind of simmer for a little while. Because I would love to, I have like I have a rock collection over on my shelf over there.
0: <laughs> I knew it. I, 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 I was like, there's no way she has never a rock collection. Oh, I,
1: I, I'm I, losing my rock collection. They keep walking off. Two little blonde heads keep stealing them, but, uh, <laughs> and replace them with gravel because they found me new rocks in our driveway. All
0: right, <laughs> oh, hey, see, they're like, they're just trying to be like, mom. It's just, it's one of those things. Like I've, I think one of the greatest gifts that I've been given or that I've, I've learned from being an entrepreneur is that you really can do whatever the hell you want. Right. So, I mean, I I can't just go tomorrow and be a lawyer or a doctor. I'm not meaning that, but like, if I want to start a company, I can do it. I can do it in an hour and start a company. If I want to start a side hustle, I can do it. And it's, it's such a freeing realization right because like you i I have no doubt that at some point probably within the next year i'm going to see you posting about some new geology thing you got going on and and i hope to see it because i'm telling you like watching you as you were describing that and every time we bring up geology you are like beaming from ear to ear (laughs) i can tell that you love it so i mean, oh i'm just i'm just fascinated again i've never i don't think i've ever met anybody that was a geologist um It's just so cool. It's so great to see somebody like almost accidentally fall into their dream.
1: Well, and it it was accidental. And honestly, that's something that really frustrated me because I went to a private high school, like a Catholic high school. I say private. It was not like we're not talking like elite private high school. We're talking Catholic high school. Um, But in the honors, uh, on the honors track, your science classes where you took biology, chemistry and physics And then you had an elective year where you could take a second level of one of those. Earth science was the remedial science class. So I was literally never even exposed to the idea of geology or earth science before I got to college. And I, so I took intro to geology because in my school earth science was remedial, right? Like it was, it was basic. So I was like, oh, so this will be easy. I mean, it was easy for me, but not because it was easy because I was interested in it. But what I hated was this fact that I was never even exposed to it because it was treated as not as lucrative as the things that would lead to like a med school entry or vet school or something like
0: that. That's very telling. That's, that's really, really very telling. And I, I consider you and I both still young. I don't know if you know people ten years younger than us would think that, but <laughs> um, it, it is crazy. Like you look back on just this this big push towards postgraduate degrees and these you know higher end degrees. Whether it's, I I mean yeah, even back then, masters and above. Um, but I know. I mean there's there's not a push on finding what you love to do yeah there and and i think there might even be it might even still be like that today like i look at my daughter's schedule and she's she's a junior um i i was looking at her classes and and looking and like listening to her guidance counselor and i'm just sitting there thinking like why don't you just let these kids pick what they they want to do like I, i didn't start my business until i was 32 I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do i I thought I knew what I wanted to do until I was thirty two
1: yeah,
0: right, so it's like it's like why is there this huge push on these big post grad degrees that honestly is just going to do nothing but put these kids into debt, yep. when we should be teaching them how to balance a checkbook, how to do bookkeeping, how to figure out how to do marketing, sales advertising? That's what I'd like to see i I would think you would too,
1: yeah. I I am lucky to be part of a few networks where um, I know some people who are starting some like entrepreneur courses and resources for kids, like just some really great programs out there, which I love to see. Um, Because the other thing is entrepreneurship itself even has become institutionalized. You can get a degree in entrepreneurship. And I'm like, that literally doesn't actually teach you what you need to be an entrepreneur.
0: No, that's, that is so frustrating to me. It's so frustrating to me as, as coaches, strategists, consultants, whatever word anybody listening wants to throw at us. Right. It's you, you can't be taught it. Truly. You can be guided, which is what we do and we can help give advice, but you can't truly be taught until you have actual hands-on experience.
1: Yeah.
0: And, and, you know, I, I got very lucky. I consider myself very fortunate to have found the, the level of success that I have. Again, I went through marketing in college. I went through organizational leadership. I will tell you, and I'm sure I'm going to hear from this from my classmates. The only thing that I, aside from accounting, have actually used from college was how to do a SWOT analysis. That's it. That, that's <laughs> it. I was a marketing major. I was an organizational leadership major. I haven't used any of it because it's all just... Oh, well, that's not going to work in this situation.
1: Yeah.
0: I can't I can't in- incorporate this. This is ridiculous. I have to actually go out there, figure out what's going on, figure out how to make it work and go from there. But so, yeah, seeing these these focuses on entrepreneurship, it's it sounds good in theory. Right? It's like, "Oh, cool, you're teaching them, you're teaching them." Then they get out into the real world and they're like, "Oh, shit, you mean customers don't actually buy like I was taught?" Nope.
1: Yeah. And it's, uh, you know what I would love, what I would love to see are more, um, not even like institutions, but more resources for like mechanics who want to start their own shop. And so they can understand the business side, right? Because that's what you see. You see these people who have this passion and know how to do this thing, but they don't like their boss anymore. They want to be able to do it themselves. So they, they open their own shop, but they don't understand the business side of it. Right. And like I would love to see I know we have the SBDCs and all these resources, but something that was a little more like clearly defined. Like, we're gonna teach you how to actually run your own shop, like from the business side.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I I think so so thinking that and taking it a little further. It's it's definitely needed because a lot of people, especially in the trades, they get so Tired of dealing with with bosses, and not even just the trades, but, but specifically them right now. There's nothing out there I mean, that I know of. There's nothing out there like it, and everything's very niche down. There's no like general real framework or coursework to say, this is how to do it. This is how to set yourself up for success. If you suck at this, hire it out. Yep. If you suck, hire it. That's, yep. that's that's like the number one lesson for anybody. If you can't keep track of money, hire somebody who can. If you can't sell, hire somebody who can. Business 101, right? Um, but it's also interesting like, are they teaching that in the trade schools? Are they so that's teaching? That's what I was thinking. I don't think they are.
1: They they teach you how to be a good tradesperson, how to get hired by people like Lockheed Martin or like homing engines, or you know, like manufacturing in the bigger trade schools, or
0: yeah. Yeah. They're, they're te- I mean, if you listen, if you can get hired by Lockheed, you should be able to run a business. <laughs> Lockheed's a damn near trillion dollar business after all these years. It's I, I really want to know that. I want to know if they're actually teaching that. That's a good, good question. Maybe we can start like Steph and Slay Enterprises and just there we go. throw it out.
1: Because I know I've worked with I've worked with a mechanic. I've worked with some hair salons, some, you know, like day spas where they go through these certification programs. They learn their trade. But then they literally have no idea how to do the business side of it because everyone just assumes, well, you're going to go work for someone else.
0: It's it's crazy to me that that's not happening. Like when again, when you think about it, like take a look at some of the most successful mechanics you know. And this is like a, a hypothetical. If you compare the successful hair salons you've worked with to. Some of the companies that I've worked with, whether they're larger companies, whether they're entrepreneurs, and same with you, like the framework for success outside of actually putting out a good product and service, it's all relatively similar, right? Nobody's reinventing the wheel. You might be reinventing how they show it. You may be reinventing how they do it, but the wheel isn't really getting reinvented. So why isn't there this push, right? Why isn't there this push to teach the hair salon owners, the cosmetologists, the mechanics, the, the airplane technicians. Why are we not focusing on that? Because that I think, and I never thought I'd say this because I'm the first person in my family with a degree, is much more valuable than a degree.
1: Mm-hmm. It, it
0: absolutely is. Yep. What is your favorite moment of being a business strategist?
1: I think when it clicks for a client, that's, I mean, so like, like I said, I I taught intro to earth science for a number of years at a community college. Like I love teaching. I love guiding someone towards figuring it out themselves. And when I have a client and we're working through something and we were like, well, why don't, why don't you try this? What would happen if you did this? And they start thinking it through and they're like, oh no, like, well, maybe that could work. And then they go implement it. And then I get a message like three days later and they're like, Oh my God, like this just like all of this just happened because of that. And I'm like, that's a like because you took one step. Right. And it's it's almost like that the 80 20 rule. Like even if you only do 20% of what I tell one of my clients, like they still see this amazing growth, but it's all because they took the action. And that's my favorite part.
0: Yeah, it's God, we are so alike. Hmm? Oh, we are so alike. I, I I always love working with doing the sales training side of things. I, I love it because some of the people, most of the people that I work with, you know, they're very hands-on people, right? They're worried about providing the product, providing the service and doing things like that. So when it comes to selling, everybody's got that fear of sales because there's that stigma surrounding it still, which honestly, I don't think that's ever going to go away. Um, but when you just make the tiniest little tweak, especially in the sales process, it can make a world of difference, a world of difference. Uh, nobody's sitting down and meeting with me tweak your value statement. Here's your value statement. Go deliver that to 50 people and tell me what happens. And the next week it's, I got 20 appointments. Of course you did because you're doing the work. You're letting people know what you do, how you do it, and you're getting in and out of there. So it's so cool to hear you sit there and say like, oh, it's watching the, when when it clicks, it's watching when that light bulb goes off. It's an incredible feeling.
1: Yep. And, and, you know, a lot of times it's when they, you know, that moment is when they finally realize that they are actually able to do this themselves. Because I think a lot of times when people come to us, they have a lot of self-doubt, whether it's because their business isn't doing what they expected it to, or because they're hearing from friends and family that I told you this was never going to work or whatever it is. And so having that realization that like, oh no, I can actually do this shit and I can do it well.
0: Yeah. So along those lines let's talk for the single parents out there, or maybe, maybe not so much single parents, but the stay at home parents too, whether it's male or female. Um, What is the best piece of advice you can have to somebody trying to go from side hustle to full time while still balancing kids and stuff at home?
1: This might be the second statement that I say sounds awful today,
0: but (laughs) you're fine.
1: Uh, Schedule that time with your family. Like, I literally have time blocks on my calendar that say like kid time, spouse time, because when you're working full time and then trying to build a side hustle, it is so easy to forget why you're doing that and let the, letting those moments kind of slip by.
0: That is, and you ask anybody that works with me. One of the very first things we do is work on scheduling and and the time. And I have exactly two requirements before anything else gets scheduled. And it's just like you said, the first blocks that go on that calendar are spouse time and kid time. Every single day, non-negotiable. So I love hearing you say that. And I, I agree with you 100% because if the family is getting pushed aside, the business isn't going to flourish. Yeah, it's, it's, You're going to create jealousy. You're going to create all sorts of stuff. So God, it's so great. All right, how about this? Aside from that, worst thing that somebody can do while growing business with having kids and stuff at home.
1: Worst thing they can do. Uh I am mm, that's that that may be the hardest one you've asked me. That, That one might be difficult. Uh I, you know, I honestly am not sure I have an answer to that question. I mean, there are so many things that could be construed as possibly being the worst, but it's all about balance. Worst thing. I would say putting your family's financial stability at risk. I have seen people who have they have invested a significant portion of money into starting something without fully defining the purpose and the goal and the support and the process. Um, so I would never advocate that anyone put their fi- family's financial stability at risk. I'm a huge advocate of working within your means and slowly scaling and building in a sustainable manner.
0: Um, so I, I think maybe that. I, I, I think that's great. <laughs> no, I, again, I mean, there's, there's no wrong answer, right? This is a yeah. fun part of podcasting You can say whatever you want. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I'm just trying to think of how I would answer that. Yeah, Every time I ask these questions, I have no idea how I would answer it. So I'm just like, like, I don't, I know, don't know what a good answer, answer
1: for it is. I'm putting you on the spot.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> your job today, Steph. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think for me, if I, if that question were posed to me, I would say not setting a very clear expectation with your, your partner or spouse, like just going for it without them truly grasping what you're going to need from them and what you're going to be able to give them in return as well. Yeah. Um, I, I would think, I, I would say that's where I would answer it, but I, I think you're exactly right too. Um, you know, and I say that because you know me, I'm I'm at home with my kids and I've built this into what it is, and it has not been easy. It's been a very difficult challenge because now I'm with my both my kids being home with this daycare situation, I'm working basically from the minute my wife gets home till 1130 12 o'clock at night, and then I feel guilty because I can't get as much time with her. And then I'm waking up at six o'clock because the kids are ready to go in the morning. Um. You know, so there's so many different struggles that come with, you know, building a business as that demographic is. Yeah. So I get it. I, I mean, there's there's no really wrong or right answer. It's just, you kind of got to figure out what works, but you have to set clear expectations. And it comes back to the goals too. You have to know what you need to do to get there. Yep. <sighs> this is a good episode. We're having fun. Yay. <laughs> Yeah, just he must have heard me talking about him. He's sitting there saying he's hungry, but he's eating all day.
1: Oh, um, yeah, mine do that. Oh, I'm hungry. You would literally just eat everything in the fridge. Well, I'm still hungry.
0: He just looked at me and went, <laughs> I yeah. love it. Hold on, buddy. I'm going to have to edit that out. Yes, I'll get you food. Don't worry. All right, I'm almost done. <clears throat> Proper expectations. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, Steph this has been a great episode. It was fun. You are welcome back on this podcast literally anytime. I mean, I'm serious. This is a blast. Where can you be found that if somebody wants to reach out to you and pick your brain, ask you any questions, advice, hire you, how can they find you?
1: Yeah. So, uh, they can find me on my website. It's businessbydesign.com. That's design with a Z. Um and that is really where I highlight the work I do with handmade businesses and micro producers or you can find me at LinkedIn Stephanie Desonier which is where I do a lot of the work and content for people who are really looking to scale their business to the mid six figures.
0: Beautiful. All right guys, you heard it. Get a hold of Steph if you want. I assure you she is a wealth of knowledge. So, I will see everybody next week. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for joining us this week on Slaying the Sale. If you're interested in knowing more about Kyle, make sure you head over to his website, theslaymakermethod.com, and pick up a copy of his best-selling books. Then, head to Facebook to join his private group, Slaymaker Sales Mastery, to become the number one salesperson in your company. And until next time, remember to keep slaying the sale.